This is Monocle on Design, a show where we unpack everything from architecture and craft to furniture and fashion. I'm Nick Manise. On today's show, it's a festival special as we take a look at some of the highlights from key events in the design calendar. We meet a glass artist and designer in Denmark and visit the European Design Festival in Estonia. We also step on Ukrainian soil for an exhibition at Design Miami Basel. Plus, we catch up with French Lebanese architect Annabelle Karim Kassar at the London Festival of Architecture. All that coming up on Monocle on Design. We start today's show in Copenhagen, where the Three Days of Design Festival has just wrapped up. The event champions the Danish design scene as a whole, from large Scandinavian brands to independent creatives such as Nina Norgard. A Copenhagen-based artist and designer renowned for working with glass, Norgard was drawn to the material after visiting her aunt's glass-blowing workshop during summers in her childhood. The experience prompted her to study mouth-blown and sculpted glass in Sweden and work across the globe before returning to her native Denmark. I caught up with Norgard as part of the festival to talk about the intricacies of her discipline and started by asking how she established her own brand. I was moving back after six years studying in San Francisco also and Venice also worked with really great masters, Pino Signoretto, he's dead now, but he was one of the biggest uh, sculptures. Then I started my brand up in 2011, so it's like... And I started working with Noma, actually. I was making a lot of uh, designs for them for coffee and tea and hot beverage. And, and then it, it went on to wine glass and decanters. And so they were my first client back in 2011. And I have a really good relationship with them because I fell in love with this whole function that things really has to work. And the aesthetics also should be high. But the thing about things has to work, I think that was really my first love and also for clear, transparent glass. I mean, can we talk, uh, I mean, function's brilliant there, and maybe we'll go into that in a moment, but can we talk a little about the material and your love of, of working with glass? You know, we trace it back to the smell in your aunt's workshop, and yeah. can you tell us how that actually drives the, the function and, and the form of your pieces? Yeah, I mean, I draw first a little bit, not so much, actually, because I'm really intuitive when I also design, so I basically go into the studio where the fire is and the wood and the stones and all the materials. And then I start sketching in glass, actually. So I start sketching in hot glass. It's so what, what does that mean? Can you explain yeah. sketching in glass? Yeah, it sounds crazy. But like I sit in the bench, I take glass out from the furnace. It's liquid. I just follow the movements. I touch it. And I mean, also, right, what, I, what I really started to do is, and what I always feel like to do is to use the tools in a specific way. Like you use paper you use iron when you shape glass and I I wanted to shape it without destroying it you know so I kind of because the glass is so hot and so liquid so I I feel like using temperature movement and not so much tooling is something that I've really been doing a lot when I do sketch it and some of my designs really comes out from that uh, motion so it, it is really driven by the material like you're, you're yeah. moving with with I, I guess the natural grain of, of glass in a way also the way I do drinking glasses I also do it like the way you did 2000 years ago like when you turn a glass upside down and you open it up by hand so the edge will be soft so the whole experience about the glass touching your lips is so much more sensual and elegant and everything just tastes way better 
if, if, if you think food, or I, I'm sure, and I do believe it, food and, and drink yeah. taste better if you're using nicer uh, yeah, cutlery yeah. and plates and glassware. Yeah, yeah, but especially the thing about when you put glass in your mouth, you know, it's not too sharp on the edges, and that's how you did it back in the days. And I think to refine that technique, it's it's really important to me to keep on with that. And that was also what Noma fell in love with when I showed them first time wine glasses with soft edges. First they were like, whoa. They are so different from what we're used to, but they just so much fell in love with it. And many of them get so addicted, they cannot drink out from anything else than that now. <laughs> I mean, can you tell me as well about your current collection? What are we looking at here today? It's also study of material in a way. I mean, there's some archive pieces and then there's the new collection, which is all high quality handmade, of course, and I've been part of it. And all my pieces are numbered and signed and exclusively made in batches. Like, I love collaboration, so I'm also really open to do special collaborations, special certain colors, special batches uh, for certain clients and, and warehouses and etc. So it's like artistic craft. It's like art production, you can say, because I'm so much in it. But the new collection is really playing with three different colors, six different colors, actually. But three of them is metallic colors, so they change color. So you can... I work with this golden vanilla color that can go from white vanilla soft to darker beige and then it has this kind of golden fire inside when you really heat the glass in a certain way so the metallic gets heated up. It can go from gold to silver to bronze to grey if you really burn it hard. But it's so interesting to actually work with colors that can give so much to a piece. So that's one of the bases. And then I also work with designs, uh, like small assets and plates that you can use for several things. Also, many of the pieces has really multifunctional ways and people are using them for all kinds of things. And, and I like the thing about having few good things that you can use for a lot of things and you can go into heritage. And, but the thing is, with those small cups and glasses, I feel like they are so elegant and sexy in a way. Before, I, I was really romantic in my shapes of making those recif big vases, like floral organic uh, waves but this one is more like elegant and sexy like like Monica Bellucci you know it's like uh, I actually call them Bellucci because I think they are so they have this coolness to it and and I think my dream was a few years ago to be able to make glass that you will wish for also when you are a young girl or young man so the whole thing about having glass as a material something you wish for as much as a bag or a pair of shoes I think it's it's succeeded somehow and I think so. I mean, I wish I, I'd like to think of myself as a young man, and I still wish I wish for some of this in my house. That isn't an attempt at getting some free stuff. Um, <laughs> I, I guess like the last thing I, I want to ask is, it, you know, glass seems like such a difficult material to work with. Is there anything that you wish you could do with it that you can't at the moment, or, or anything that you're pushing to try and do that you, you can't at the moment? I think it was Ben Goham who asked me once from Byredo. I did a collab with them last year. It was really, really exciting and really inspiring people to work with. They were an amazing team. And and he asked me if I could do like a, a surfboard in solid glass. And I was like, whoa, that sounds so cool. I actually did some big solid glass pieces that I'm working on further. Also, I showed last year and for hanging pieces for walls and for lamps as well. But I'm developing that. And actually, I was making this uh, jewelry box also in really solid, heavy glass and a mirror for the wall. But they're not finished yet, so I think I will drop launch them after, after the holidays. And so things like that is something that I'm experimenting in right now, the work of solid glass. And uh, 
yeah. turning them into small tables also I also been having uh, some prototypes difficulties or something that I want to source out yeah now I think I nailed the glass tableware situation lamps I also did a lot with before table lamps but but the whole thing about bigger chandeliers is something that I'm also like dreaming about my thanks to Nina Norgard there The European Design Festival has a mission to celebrate work ranging from graphics to branding with an ambition to promote exemplary examples to a wider audience. The event, which takes place annually in a different European city, was hosted by the Estonian capital of Tallinn this year. We sent our Helsinki correspondent Petri Bertsov to find out more. The annual European Design Festival, an event built around the coveted European Design Award and celebrating visual design, took place in the Estonian capital of Tallinn this year. Over three days, participants from all corners of Europe took part in various events and workshops, exploring themes such as the role of design in fostering social change and asking questions such as how do we design for the future in an ever-changing society? In addition to the conferences and the workshops, the participants got to know the design scene of the host city during various design walks and studio visits, concerts and museum tours. The event culminated in the gala ceremony that awarded the coveted European Design Award for the Design Agency of the Year. I caught up with the festival's director, Demetrios Fakinos, to learn more. Hello, my name is Dimitrios Fakinos and I am the director of the European Design Festival. Uh, which is the series of events built around the European Design Award Ceremony. And it happens every year in a different European city. We have been going on since 2007. We have been uh, having 14 uh, festivals going to all kinds of different places from Porto to Istanbul and from Oslo to Athens and everywhere in between. And maybe just um, talk to us a little bit about what type of design you, you, you focus on. Design is such a broad umbrella. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are focusing on communication design. So we have everything from uh, Packaging, branding, uh, digital design, applications, websites, motion graphics, illustration, and so on. The festival's content and theme is decided by the host country, which makes the event also an interesting window into the local design scene. We make sure that every time, wherever we go, we are relevant. And we just not impose our own, I don't know, maybe central uh, rules or whatever. So... It's, in this case, the Estonian Design Center, or Design Keskus, who took in charge. And they are the ones that decided the, um, the title and the, the theme that uh, the whole festival would uh, evolve around. I took a interaction design I asked Demetrios to pick some of his personal highlights from this year's festival. Well, the event that I like the most every year is the design walks. So what we do there is actually we have um, studios that are gathered around one geographical area, let's say, and we agree that there was, they will stay open and accept people 
coming in their offices. And this is open to the public, obviously, but we also have guided tours that uh, takes the, these tours, uh, you have a, a person heading the, uh, a group of people that are usually from, you know, they're foreigners. So they make sure that they take them from um, Studio A to Studio B. And wherever they go, it's like a small party going on. First you have the local studio showcasing the work, and then there's, of course, a discussion. Uh, and in like two hours, these people that come from the other side of Europe get hands-on um, knowledge of what it is to be a design studio in the host city every time. And this, of course, creates a lot of um, possible synergies. We have examples of people that uh, during the design walk met and have worked together. At this year's festival, the European Design Award was awarded to the Dutch agency Verve. Hi, my name is Roman Stikkelorum. I'm one of the co-founders and managing director of Verve. And Verve is a digital branding agency. So we work with 35 people, professionals, on uh, branding projects, mostly rebranding projects, strategic rebranding projects. We have a Dutch heritage, so Dutch design is rooted in everything that we do, but we're also grown up with the internet, we're digital natives, so you see that in all the work that we make. It's uh, very digital, it's lively, and it has these characteristics of Dutch design, which is bold, outspoken, a little bit quirky, a little bit humor in there as well. And I think that, uh, that that's um, yeah, what, what makes our work verve. And um, I guess it's always very optimistic. Um, and uh, yeah, we would like to make bold, outspoken work. Despite focusing on visual and communications design, the European Design Festival has something to offer for designers from various fields, as Roman explains. So it's uh, much more about uh, the broader sense of design, design thinking, how to implement design thinking in your, in, in your work. It's also about, um, so for the award ceremony, it's also about package design, um, uh, modern, uh, spatial design, for example. So all these different disciplines come together and um, yeah, it's, it's much more than just visual design. What about the participants themselves, designers and design lovers from various countries? What did they like about the event? I'm happy that I found confirmation to the ideas that I already believe in that uh, we should design, keeping in mind the actual problem the user needs, not only the I don't know, wow effect and do things that actually matter and work, not just for the sake of doing them. I like the point of like important design changes have come from basically rebelling and like riots or like the users using the thing differently than it was intended for. I think the talks have been great since the morning, uh, very emotional and very um, um, out of the box thinking and uh, what really inspired us uh, was that it was not only presenting a project or a case study but talking uh, uh, about ethos and about um, things that really matter to us. For Monocle in Tallinn, I'm Petri Burtsov.
Design Miami returned to Basel for its 16th edition last week in a showcase of modern furniture, lighting and art. Under the creative direction of Maria Cristina Didero, gallerists and designers were encouraged to explore utopianism and celebrate ingenuity through booths and large-scale installations. In that number were Fina Gallery with its installation stepping on Ukrainian soil. Monocle's executive editor, Nolan Giles, caught up with Fina's Naste Savchemkom to learn more about the show and the Ukrainian design scene. Let's take a listen. Our gallery represents Ukrainian design and uh, this is uh, the solo show of uh, Ukrainian artist and designer Victoria Yakusha. She designed the tapestry and she designed uh, all the furniture here. But they're so different, aren't they, in style? I guess it must be kind of relying on the, the techniques that she used to make them special. They're different, but they are united by one idea connection to our land and in both of them it's integration of ancient Ukrainian technique, primitive aesthetic and combination of history and modern design. These design pieces, all design pieces are very important message for us during this time and uh, the central piece of the installation is called Zemla. It means uh, earth in Ukrainian and uh, the artists wanted to repeat uh, uh, the texture of uh, soil so it's uh, very crumbly and even and um, these umbilical cords uh, symbolize connection to our land. The artists uh, decided to implement uh, it in the hand-woven tapestry. So it's wool that we're looking at. Yes. It's all. Yes. It's a beautiful color. So I don't know much about the, the Ukraine design scene or what has been happening there before the war. Could you maybe give us a little setup? You know how it works. Is it all centered in Kiev or is it kind of all over the place? It's mostly centered at Kiev. I think for contemporary Ukrainian design, it's known for its primitivism, primitive aesthetic, very laconic design. And for us, connection to our roots and our land is very important. So you can see some traditional motifs integrated in contemporary design also in our works, uh, we try to support Ukrainian artisans, so a lot of traditional ancient uh, craft techniques are integrated in um, modern pieces. The details on this kind of woven piece are incredible. So is this like uh, an artisan technique that was used to make it, or how, how much do you know about the process behind this one? This technique is very ancient and uh, now it's common only for one region in Ukraine. It's made in Carpathian mountains and uh, it's passed from mother to daughter. So only one or two villages in Ukraine has uh, its valuable knowledge. So it's even much more important for us that it's made in Ukraine by our artisans with this technique that has a very long story. A war makes things very difficult for everyone and the, th the first thing we think about is you know, the, the toll on human life and infrastructure and daily life but actually it destroys traditions and craft and everything like that and I'm guessing that you know, there's a big fear now that with what's going on that artisans behind this are just not able to practice anymore. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? 
Uh, when the war started, of course, uh, for first two months, our work stopped. We weren't able uh, to produce something to work. All our thoughts were with our people, how we can help, how we can donate. Uh, but um, now we can't allow ourselves uh, to be weak. We should be strong, we should continue to work, and that's what each person in Ukraine uh, does now. And uh, yeah, we are very proud of our people. And you should be proud because you guys uh, won the best gallery and curio, right? Yes, we're extremely grateful for this. <laughs> and we haven't talked uh, too much about the, the sheep. They are sheep, right? Uh, oh, no. No. no sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, mystical animals. Uh, yes. Uh, the idea, the artist was to create something very pure in nature. So that's why the form of animal, the idea to create animal emerged. And uh, they look for a lot of people. They resemble sheep because of this uh, hand-sculpted technique. And uh, actually, uh, the same technique was used uh, for traditional Ukrainian dwelling, for the uh, sculpting the walls. So it's also a connection of uh, our history and uh, modern design. It's an amazing technique. What's the actual material? Uh, it's sustainable material invented by artists. Uh, it's a blend of clay, recycled paper, hay and uh, other natural elements. And the idea was uh, to create the material that can get back to nature so it's completely decomposable and uh, can uh, return to soil. That was executive editor Nolan Giles in conversation with Finer's Nastya Savchemkom. The London Festival of Architecture is well underway with sites across the UK capital playing host to a wide range of events, talks and exhibitions until the end of the month. This includes the V&A, who have opened a new show called The Lebanese House, Saving a Home, Saving a City. Designed by architect Annabel Karim Kassar, it aims to showcase the work of designers carrying out restorative housing projects in Beirut following the 2020 blast and it includes a life-sized reconstruction of part of a traditional Lebanese home. Monocle's Maylee Evans headed to the VNA and sent us this report. The sound of sweeping of debris and broken glass, captured by the sound designer Emmanuel Zuki. A snapshot of a clean-up operation undertaken by the thousands of residents of Beirut in the aftermath of an explosion that rocked the city's port back in 2020. The soundscape features in a film by Wissam Sharaf on show as part of the latest exhibition at the V&A Museum. The Lebanese house was curated by the architect Annabel Karim Kassar, who has brought over a towering structure, a three-arch facade and two interior spaces that evoke a traditional home. I wanted people to have the feeling that what people lost in that blast is not only architecture, but also memory and way of living. We are standing in front of a part of a Lebanese, traditional Lebanese house of the 1890, brought in pieces 
from Lebanon. I tried to bring a piece of a house in its scale so people can really feel what it is a five meter high ceiling house. In the traditional Lebanese hall, you have three parts. So you have the diwan, the big hall with the dar, and a more familial room. So I tried to recreate this kind of space here. I love the way the um, interior um, concept of a Lebanese house with uh, the big hall where you don't have corridor, and through the big hall you go into rooms. And I love this idea opposite to our idea in Europe where you have to separate the salon, the living room from the room and go through a little corridor so people are not seeing you. So I love also the conviviality of Lebanese house, the human side of opening doors. And for sure, I find that they have this extraordinary way of uh, and ability of ornamentation where you can build a decorative arcade perfectly. You can bring this beautiful painting, uh, ceiling and flooring and all that. Alongside the wreckage and loss of human life from the blast was, too, the disappearance of the local design vernacular. As part of the exhibition, a fragment of an ornately painted ceiling is on show. The ceiling, who is always traditionally in this big rooms with the painted ceilings and during the blast 60% of uh, the ceiling has disappeared but I brought also inside some pieces of the ceiling that you you can see here and it's very rare to be able to see a ceiling from so close the colour, the pigment are beautiful and the colour are still very strongly present We've got, we've got like a bird. A you have a birds, birds, you have uh, flowers, plants, and you have some angel. They are very different from one to each other house. And I think it's again a very Italian Renaissance influence. As well as physical examples of what had been lost, the exhibition also features a series of films. One documents various houses before and after the blast whilst another charts the traumatic effect of the day's events on a family who lives close to the port. Providing an intimate space for visitors to reflect and engage closely with the films was key. So Kassar took great care with the seating on offer. A stepped seating bank is adorned with cascading woven mattresses and were crafted by artisan mattress makers in Tripoli. This is to be expected, though, as Kassar is a champion of promoting local design, be it craft or architecture. When the Lebanese civil war ended in 1990, she won the bid to rebuild the souks in Beirut. Her roots in understanding and her appreciation of preservation run deep. Always in Beirut was interested to protect and try to, to preserve and works on the preservation of historic buildings because that was very difficult in a country who has been in a civil war and uh, it's needed a lot. I tried to find the connection who makes people like feeling in the space. I don't need to recreate the exact end. I did this facade not by wanting to copy, but by making the whole space as 
living space. Though Kassar is a staunch advocate for preservation, she's unsure as to whether her attitude is shared with locals. I don't know if everyone is understanding or if it is their priority, but I think whatsoever it's good to talk about it and more and more people could be interested in living in older houses where at the moment they thought it was not interesting, they prefer to go to any tower. Even if there is, for now, like so much problem in Beirut of financial and political and social problems, I think that as an architect it's my duty to get on and talk about architecture but also think that saving a home is saving a city and working on that. For Monocle in London, I'm Maylie Evans. The Lebanese house, Saving a Home, Saving a City, is on show at London's v Museum until the 21st of August 2022. Meanwhile, the London Festival of Architecture runs until the 30th of June, so do check out their programme. And that's all for today's show. For more design stories, listen to our five-minute midweek bonus show, Monocle on Design Extra. That airs on Thursdays. Today's show was produced by Charlie Phil McCourt and Maylee Evans, who also edited the show with help from Chris Ablakwa. I'm Nick Manise, and you can reach me at nm at monocle.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>